I'm with Matt Ford on today's pod, a regular contributor to UWS and Deutsche Welle, based out in lovely Bonn. How's it going, Matt? Uh, sunny, 30 degrees today on the banks of the Rhine. Lovely. So uh, similar, pretty, pretty similar to Manchester. I was just pulling your leg before we came on air and saying yeah, Bonn is a, a very dull city. But to be honest, I've only ever visited corporate headquarters there, so I don't really know it very well. That's an argument for another day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, I heard you on the UWS podcast a few weeks back talking about Qatar and the potential for Qatari takeover. It, it kind of seems that, especially in the social media age, that voices of reason are drowned out somewhat. And it's important to have this discussion because uh, if the Qatari takeover happens, we'll forget quite quickly about uh, the impact of the ownership and start thinking about the football. So anyway, that was a long way of saying, let's get into talking about the takeover a little bit. It is Thursday evening, 15th of July. And I, I'm just timestamping this because as we speak, a Reuters report came out well, within the last hour saying exclusivity was going to be given to the Sheikh Jassim fronted Qatari bid. The club denied it immediately, which I'm not surprised because they basically have to, otherwise they'll be shifting the share price. Thoughts on where we're at with the takeover? I mean, in terms of in terms of inside info, I'm about as clued up as you and everybody else yeah. on this. Yeah, the, the carousel continues to move. The whole thing has turned into a pretty unpalatable and unpleasant yeah, drama, soap opera, call it what you will. Yeah. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I feel like it's taken on dimensions, which, for being honest, don't even come close to the, the actual magnitude of, of what we're talking about. People are, people seem to be following these narratives, media narratives, whatever you want to call them, in the same way they might, I don't know, follow silly transfer rumors when they get bored in oh, summer. Great, yeah. The whole thing seems to have, yeah, yeah. I feel like the the magnitude has got lost a little bit, really. Yeah, I suppose ultimately, I don't want to be accused of taking things too seriously, or but I feel like the yeah the magnitude of it has got lost, and it's not it's anything anything but a laughing matter, really. You're talking about mm-hmm. talking about Manchester United Football Club, talking about the biggest cultural institution in the city of Manchester one of the mm-hmm. biggest cultural institutions in the United Kingdom and in, in, in European and global football. And yeah. you're talking about the prospect, maybe, maybe not, of, of that institution, which has meant so much to so many people since 1878 and which has gone through so many highs and so many lows. You, you're talking, yeah, the prospect of that, of that institution passing into the passing into the hands of of a nation state. It yep. doesn't really matter where that state's from. Could be could be any could be any nation state. Uh, to use for their own means. And yeah, there's there's no getting there's no getting away from that. I mean there's there's certain ele- right. there's certain elements of all this that you can debate about and have an opinion on. But what what's what's not a what's not a case of opinion or not a case of debate is 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 why the state of Qatar uses sports clubs or uses yes. football that's that's a hard fact and yep. there's no getting away from that so yeah it, that's a, that's the prospect of some magnitude and it yeah and it's, it's it's cause for concern which goes much which goes beyond beyond silly silly social media games yeah well correct yes and i think it's important to frame it in those terms of course there is debate about why qatar does this i see in the in the bot driven talking points online which is basically well this is an investment of course it's it's a it's a fraction of a fraction of a percent of of the uh the qatari sovereign wealth fund and you don't make money out of football so it's not about financial investments folks it's uh, it's about uh, soft power hard power and, and reputation washing and i think people are getting more educated about that i do feel that yeah, that that has started to become a little bit clear. Where, where it then, of course, does become a point of opinion is whether you accept all that information, you take all that information on board, and that you then decide, oh, in my opinion, okay, I don't care. Yes, and then and unfortunately, that is, that is true for many people. Yeah, yeah, and I think if that's the case, that's absolutely fine. But I think yeah, that's then the point where you leave the argument, and uh, I suppose then leave it to the rest of us who do care. 
And yeah, yeah that, that, that that's the only point of sort of opinion divergence, which I think is acceptable on that. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally right. That you can't change minds through a conversation with someone on on Twitter and and people who don't care about the who owns the club as long as Mbappe or whoever is joining will probably never be turned. And and we've certainly seen the weaponization of fans at City and Newcastle. Less so per Saint-Germain, which is kind of interesting what has happened there in recent weeks. But yeah, look, as you said earlier, the the co-opting of an institution uh, for political means an institution that is 150 years old and, and means something to a, as club says, a billion people around the world is, is, is very serious. And, and, uh, honestly, although they've inched their way towards the, the, what seems to be the victory line, as, as, as I said, Thursday, we don't know that yet. The 6 billion is uh, probably quite a cheap price to get access to, to that many people probably- with a, a deeply emotive institution as well. It's probably quite a sad but maybe predictable consequence of the entire Glazer ownership that it's even come to this. I made the point on the yeah, speaking on the United We Stand podcast in out in Seville that you that you mentioned before, uh, saying that I don't think anybody needs to educate me or you or most people involved with any of the fanzines or anything like that. United, what what the problems are with the with the Glazer family? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we, yeah, I'd go as far as to say the reason that. All those arguments have gained so much currency over the past 10, 15, 15 years is, is because of the work of a lot of the fanzines often shouting into the void about how dangerous the Glazers are, even at times where United are actually doing okay. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't need repeating that the height of the green and gold campaign was during a period where United made or reached, reached four York, well, th- yeah, three European Cup finals three in four, four years. years. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that that point doesn't really, doesn't really need, need need making, but I think I find it a bit of a sort of a strange strange irony, quite a bitter irony, really, that having finally had some success with those arguments, having finally seemed to have broken through as to why the Glazers are the problem, and broken through all the nonsense about oh, but they spend money, no, they don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> and how the problems are not necessarily the money being spent because A, it's not its own money, but B, it's because it's been spent terribly because all the structure and yeah. the infrastructure has been neglected. I feel like, yeah, finally, I think in 2023, those arguments are now quite commonplace. I think they've become quite yes. accepted. However, you only have to go back five or four or five years or, or so when they absolutely weren't commonplace. And they were like, you know, I've, I've, I remember the one game that's been to mind, Born, Bournemouth. Do you remember the, the rearranged Bournemouth game under Van Gaal yeah. after the... Yeah, the, the supposed the, bomb, the fake the, bomb, yeah, the fake yeah, bomb yeah. threat in the toilet. Yeah, yeah and there were a few of us thrown out of thrown out of Old Trafford for having anti laser banners there that night. Obviously, Van Gaal was just about to win us the cup. So again, this is nothing to do with success or or, or, or lack of. But yeah, the, the the irony being that those arguments have finally broken through, but now almost seems to have been turned on the head. That Glazers out has now become so simplified that. Yes, that, that I, it, I agree. Yeah, that it then becomes, it almost becomes synonymous with. Therefore, we need. Therefore, we need Qatar, and uh, I think there's a very bitter irony in that. Back, back when the takeover happened, I, I felt I was one of very. I mean, obviously there were protests then, and there is the road to ruin banner, and and all of, well, that came later because that was David Gill's phrase, wasn't it? But there were protests then, which I attended. I remember writing a lot of blog posts on the what was the United Brand blog at the at the time, and and I felt, as I feel now, that I was howling into the wind that those messages weren't resonating, and that my ability to analyse the finances, along with a few people like Andy Green and and others, just wasn't cutting through as a message. And it has taken eighteen years for it to be a common understanding that yes, incompetent ownership really does matter, and of course. At first, it was bad with debt, and that really was a concern. People forget it now. United paid twenty million pounds a year in interest. Now it's completely, it's completely affordable. Is that the right words? But when the peak loans were racking up fourteen percent interest, and United were paying out a hundred million pounds a year, it really was touch and go. Absolutely, these the, guys the, did the... not plan for the massive inflation in TV rights. So they uh, got lucky. 
Absolutely, the, the the original arguments against the debt were were, were absolutely bang on and necessary. Um, and even in, in principle, any argument against Manchester United's indebtedness under the claims is obviously legitimate. And no one's going to sit there claiming that the debt is a good thing, or the fact that you know, however many hundreds of millions it currently stands at, it is a desirable situation. Of course not. Yeah, but it doesn't change the fact that. And again, it sounds ironic. It almost sounds like a paradox that you're almost defending it by saying it's affordable, but. Fact is, it actually yep. is because, if you, um, and again, this is this is not to defend the Glazers in any shape or form. But United in the past in the past decade have been able to afford a to 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 waste or to pay out over a billion in debt repayments and, and refinancing, yep. but at the same time, waste another billion pound plus on yeah. Amateurish, unprofessional transfer business, poor managerial yep. appointments, bad bad contract negotiations. United, unfortunately, are so big that they can afford that. And again, that's that that in itself is an argument against against Qatar. This is not it's not a case, a case of Newcastle or or, or or City or even Chelsea. Kriya Bramovich of a club desperately needing a massive massive cash injection. No, United make yeah. that money. It just needs to be spent properly. And again. These arguments have gone round and round like a hamster wheel. And I know that the comeback to that is no, but the ground needs sorting out. It's in such disrepair. The Carrington needs 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 revamping. Oh, an entirely new training ground built somewhere else. Mini, yeah. mini academy stadium, a la City. Yes, to, yes, absolutely get all that. Hundred percent, all that is necessary. But that's also affordable under what United currently make. Admittedly, yeah. it might take. Five or six years longer, longer, it might not happen overnight. But if that's the price, yeah. you know, if, if waiting five, six, seven years more on that and doing it on your own terms, uh, if that that to me is infinitely, infinitely preferable than achieving that overnight, whilst yeah. Yeah, whilst completely selling the entire identity and soul and raison d'etre of the entire club, because it will fundamentally yeah. change. That, I think that's a point. Yeah, well, it has it has to. State ownership means that you're at all of that state's foreign policy. Exactly, and that's a that's a that's a point I've tried to make on that again on, on United We Stand. I've tried to make it a few yeah. times that it's a fundamental change and. I can't really state that clearly enough. The purpose of Manchester United is, a, even if it's been at times to make money as a private organisation, of course, Man United exists to, to to turn a profit. But the point of that profit has always been to promote the, the sport of football on the pitch, and yeah. so Manchester United are a good football team. That's been the, that's, that's the point of it. As soon as, as soon as you become state-owned, that no longer becomes the point of the club. I mean, whether they like it or yeah. not, the, the purpose of the, I, know, I wrote a piece along those lines the other day regarding Abu Dhabi and um, and Manchester City, and it, it, I, it's unfortunate for it's unfortunate for those City fans, and I, I mean that I mean that genuinely. I think it is quite unfortunate. I think on a purely footballing level, of course, they're entitled to go and celebrate watching that team. It's an incredible football team. They play fantastic football. That first half against Real Madrid in the semi was absolutely outstanding. Rarely seen football like it. And of course, they're entitled, after everything they've been through on a, on a purely football level, to enjoy that and celebrate winning a treble. But unfortunately for them, and I do feel a bit sorry for them, it's it's not theirs. It's not Manchester yeah. City's. because the, And they have to compartmentalise. And they're very successful yeah. at compartmentalising. Yeah. It's a shame. And I, 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 I'd hate to see us turn into that. Yeah, I'm yet to find a City fan uh, that's kind of engaged in these topics. I I don't know of a prominent voice that questions where this success has come from and what it means. I um, The fact that Binzaid was at the game, at the Champions League final, I think says everything about what this project is. This is a political moment mm. uh, for the Abu Dhabi regime, and, and that will undoubtedly be true if, if Qatar wins. I mean, the World Cup final presentation was turned into a political moment, right? With the dish being presented to to Messi and that's just one example. So the, the fact is that sport washing works, right? And, and sport washing is a term that needs broadening, I think. It's not just about reputation management, but take that as granted that it's a broader term. It does work. And, and part of it is weaponizing fans. Uh, which I've seen overnight. Uh, I made a very innocuous comment about Gautier being fired at PSG and why would we want this kind of club ownership just on that level. And uh, I got about uh, 100 bots 
come into my timeline. Very odd. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's two levels there. I think on the first hand, I've made this point as well that you know, if you, you only have to look at Paris Saint-Germain to, to notice, you know, to realize that Qatari ownership is not necessarily a, a silver bullet or a, a, yeah. it's not necessarily going to guarantee you good practice, good business practice or, or sensible running a football club. There's absolutely no guarantee to as well. Just because it's just because those in charge of Abu Dhabi and Manchester City have installed an absolutely second to non-footballing structure there. There's absolutely no guarantee yeah. that state of Qatar would. They certainly haven't at, at PSG. But the the other side of it is, again, if you just go beyond the issue of Manchester United in itself, I think we do have a responsibility to football in the game as a whole. So let's look at the bigger picture and ask where it's going. Is it yeah. is it 13 or 14 teams now which are part of City Football Group? 13, uh, yeah. yeah. Qatar would be looking to build to to build a to build something similar there. Obviously, if they kept control of PSG, they also have they also have control of I think it's Open in Belgium via the Aspire Academy. Um, right. yeah. Simultaneously, you have a, a, a similar similar structures in place through uh, through Red Bull, albeit not not only for geopolitical sports washing, but more for promotion of a commercial brand. Uh, although there are, actually, there are actually some political elements to, to, to that as well, but that's a different topic. Yeah, and that that can't be good for the game as a whole. It's going to increasingly funnel all the money at the top of the game into a into a tiny minority of uh, of, of, of elite clubs, uh, and it shouldn't really come yeah. as any consolation. It's, it's exactly, it's no, it should be no consolation to anybody that Manchester United will be part of that. I don't know why you would want Manchester United to be part of that. That's why I think it's such a shame that United, given the fan base that, that United has, given the size of the club, the sheer the sheer power of this of, of the football club and, and its its global reach, and maybe I'm being idealistic, but I wish Manchester United and its support and its its support would would recognise they can stand for something different. United are big enough to stand on their own two feet. I recognise the challenges mm-hmm. competing against nation states, competing against. Russian Russian oligarchs or Austrian drinks manufacturers, mm. yeah, of course not easy. But if there's any if there's any football club that could do things differently and stand on their own two feet, it's Manchester United. Um, Correct. Yeah, I think a, a decent example there, and again, things doesn't perfect, but a decent example is Bayern Munich, where, where I'm based in Germany. Who, yeah, they don't have it easy. It's a constant balancing act. It's a constant back and forth between the supporters and the club. But in general, generally speaking, they they do tend to get it right. Like balance between being a massive commercial global juggernaut, but also remaining what is ultimately a supporter-owned football club. Right. Yeah, and that's not going to happen at United. Clearly, we've moved beyond that. It would take times raising a few billion dollars, pounds, euros to to make that happen. So I think we can forget that for the time being. Yes, interesting. I, I, I heard I heard some of the, the lads from the, the Newcastle fans against sports washing group on a on, on a podcast the other night. I think yeah they they were going they, they were arguing along similar lines and obviously that's not possible and of course it's not possible for a group of football fans to raise six billion six billion pounds. However, as unlikely as it might seem, I think this was the point made by by Nick McGeehan of um yeah. of, of, of Fair Square. Fair Square yeah, that at least on a political level, I mean, the one way you would change that 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 ownership model would be through legislation. Um, right, and, of, yeah. and of course, of course, it might seem a long way away. And certainly under the current UK government, I certainly can't imagine them legislating to effectively expropriate a load of extremely rich foreign investors, particularly in the current situation that the British economy finds itself in. I, yeah. I, I also, I, I, then again, I also couldn't see the couldn't see the current opposition doing that either. So. However, and this was the argument that Nick was making, if you if you do aim if you do aim big, you can start small and aim big. And if and if yeah. and if the aim would be to push through something at, at a governmental legislative level, whereby yeah. even if fans would never have full control or or, or fifty plus one or anything, or, say, or, or, yeah. but at least some sort of yeah. some sort of golden share, guaranteed seat on the yeah, board yeah. on certain issues which affect fans and ticket prices, things like that. If yeah. you could have that, that would be that would be a starting point. And uh, yeah, by all intents and purposes, that's actually that's actually what what must seems to be aiming towards with the fan share John, scheme. John, 
Yeah, which they were negotiating with the Glazers, but obviously that's now. You know, I spoke to Dead, yeah. Spoke to Must about that. It's actually tragically the last the last discussion that I had with with Ian Sterling. Tragically, was precise, right. precisely on on that question. Um, like, yeah. what, 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 how does that stand now, given that we've the Glazers have launched their strategic review? And he said, Yeah, yeah. well, it's 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 obviously on ice because that deal, whatever, yeah. whatever you think of the Glazers and Ian Sterling and Must and Chelsea and the rest of them were certainly no fans of the Glazers, but yeah. they were at least listening to that. And yeah, yeah for me, that would have been, that would have been something different. That would have been Manchester United right. as a football club, as a fan base, as a, yeah. as a city. Having some say, and yeah. Standing for something different. Yeah. This this I, I, this road we're going down now, however, is is the complete opposite, and that's 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 sad. It's very sad. <laughs> it, it is it is the opposite because what happens when you're state owned is that you are a tool of of that state. You're being used as part of their their propaganda and soft power machine because of how powerful football is. Yeah, I mean, John John Hurd at Newcastle United against Washing is is probably even more, he's probably more optimistic than me at this point. He he believes that he can build a grassroots campaign that will put pressure and will ultimately succeed in, in developing that legislation. He thinks that's the end game. And, and he's he's incredibly optimistic and not to not to speak for him, but probably more optimistic than I feel at this stage. But and, and and the reason why I don't feel that optimistic yet is that it's been impossible to generate any kind of political viewpoint on this one. Local Manchester MPs and the mayor's office don't want to get involved. Like the, the white paper as it stands that's going through Parliament is quite lightweight, really. The only real dimensions that would be relevant here are the other the pieces about well the Premier League's already done it but it would have happened through legislation which is to say hey we won't have anyone on the sanctions list I mean big deal the sanctions list is a political tool anyway it's yeah sure we won't have a North Korean Iranian or Syrian owner of a Premier League football club I mean that changed precisely fuck all but uh, there you go but it's a start isn't it I guess and and maybe that's maybe the the independent regulator is is a kind of beach on which we can land a sand campaign about gaining greater say and greater control, maybe. But it's going to be a hell of a long road if and when the Qataris take over to that town. Yeah, but it just goes it goes to show how how yeah inextricably linked football is now with yeah, with with broader British, European, and global politics, whether you like it or That's not. Sure. And again. We're back on the hamster wheel of arguments. A lot of it is so predictable. It's been done to death before and after the Qatar yeah. World Cup, back to Newcastle, back yeah. to Manchester City. It's all right, football. And I, I, to, I totally get it how football fans on a Saturday afternoon go, or a, Monday, or a Monday evening or a Thursday lunchtime or whenever the games kick off these days. I can totally understand why that's a distraction. The last thing you want is to be told and lectured about, about geopolitics and foreign investments and uh, stock market shares. It, it, it's dull. It's boring as anything. Totally get it. However, whether whether you want your football or your football club to be involved in any sort of politics, whatever you understand politics to be, whether you want that or not, it's actually relevant because it, it is. It's an undisputed... Yeah. Because it's, it's all about you saying, oh, I don't want politics in my football. Yeah, well, politics wants your football. And it's it's too it's too late for that, and um, yeah, that's yeah. that 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 just it, it's directly linked into the the situation. The United States, yeah, it finds themselves in, or the Premier League finds itself in. The the uh, the, the Premier League won't won't pass rules on supporter own on supporter ownership. If you open the UK government, will they won't because and because as we as we touched on before, the UK government finds itself in a situation post Brexit where it's absolutely desperate for large scale massive foreign investment which comes from outside well comes from outside outside right. of the European and, Union. And at a time when energy prices are incredibly yeah. high, they want that foreign investment to come from energy dense countries and, and Qatar is the I think the world's third yeah. largest reserves of hydrocarbons. It's, and it's, and it's, and it's it sounds gas. it sounds ridiculous to be talking about this in the context of of your football club, but that that's the world we're in and there's there's no point closing your eyes to it. And again Come back to that issue of opinion that we said at the start. If ultimately you take all the information on board and go, 
yeah, I get that. Yeah, understand. That's okay. I understand all that. And then you decide, but it's my choice to say, now I don't care. I just want to go and watch Man United. That's your prerogative. I think that's absolutely fine. But I think if you want to do that, then do that. But don't then don't then come to the rest of us engaging in this absolutely it's you know, this mentally backwards charade of, of of mental acrobatics and and and, and yeah. cognitive dissonance and um, yeah, engaging in this this game of truth versus truth or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, because there is no argument to be had, and um, yeah, if you just want to accept it and move on, then okay, accept it and move on. But yeah, don't then don't then go and tell the rest of us that we're yeah that we're all we're all somehow, I don't know, whatever we're all somehow being 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 duped or whatever. <laughs> well, yes, I mean that's normally not the pushback I find. I I I could give you the top ten hits of what happens. I mean, one, it's how can you say anything? You're a Brit. Look at what the the British government have done over the years, and. By the way, I think the British government's invasion of Iraq and uh, Afghanistan is a war crime. I can just, I'm happy to say that. Yeah. I think it's a war crime. Doesn't have a lot to do with this because as far as I know, Rishi Sunak is not prepared to get into the bidding. And I would protest against any state ownership, even from the most benign states. I think it's a, yeah. a cancer on the game. But funny thing is, it's not benign states that are bidding for clubs. Yeah. So that's that's one. It's normally, hey, yeah. you're a Britain, look at your crimes. No, it's, uh, it's colonialism. It's, 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 and, a, yeah. it's a lot of it's a lot of whataboutism. Yeah. Oh, tense. The next one is normally Ed, you're being Islamophobic or Arabophobic, and you just don't like people who are brown. I'm happy to say again, be quite happy for a Arab Muslim or a non-UK owner as long as they respect the values of this club and they don't murder people. It's quite a low bar. Um, I'd like them to be competent owners as well. Maybe that's the second bar to, to clear. And and then a whole bunch of other whataboutism. It's a, it's a private owner. It's not a private owner. Qatar is an absolute monarchy. He's the son of the former prime minister, which is a, a not a political position. It's a family position. He was the state representative on the Credit Suisse board for eight years, which might tell you something about his management props. Not very good. So he's a state representative. If he exists, we haven't actually seen him yet in the flesh, I don't mm. think. Yeah, um, finally, but, particularly uh, the yeah. support that, that seems to, well, again, seems difficult to know because it's difficult to know what's what's a, what are real social media accounts or what are not. Oh, yeah. um, but some, yeah, so I think yeah, some, sure. some of the support which seems to come from, you know, I think, yeah, particularly across the Middle East, sometimes quite a... I can't quite place necessarily where it works necessarily from what from what angle it comes from obviously manchester united have support all over the world and um as we were saying off air actually it's, it's something yep. which i personally find absolutely fascinating it makes me quite proud and blows me away you know i've, I've been to watch united all over the world i've stood in stadiums right. in in singapore in, in in bangkok surrounded by 70 80,000 people from the, a yeah. completely different corner of the planet to me but all stood wearing the football shirt of a team yeah. of a team who I grew up seven or five or six miles down the road from, yeah. and it, it, I think that's fant- I think that's fantastic. Everywhere, everywhere you go in the world, you get spoken. You mentioned Manchester. You get the same list of things that get said to you. You know, yeah. Wayne yeah. Rooney, Alex Ferguson, Man United, Old Trafford. Yeah. It, it's fantastic. You know that, and that, you can that, you can even if United aren't in town, there's a yeah. supporters club in. Every there large is, city you'll, all, you'll always find someone to have a to have a beer with or yeah. have a cup of tea, and it's it's fantastic, and that applies to the Middle East as much as anywhere. However, yeah, yeah, however, I'm not sure if it's really legitimate to to then, if, if this is what people think, to then say, well, someone who's of a of, of Middle Eastern background or from, from anywhere really to say, well, therefore, therefore, we I, I want to see United owned. By someone from from from, from my particular yeah. part of the world, I think as much as the support is fantastic, I don't really see where anybody has the right to then sort of co-opt Manchester United for themselves. Because even then, even then, they're then using Manchester United for ulterior motives, which I think is quite sinister and not particularly fair on United fans from other parts of the world, whether whether that is Manchester or the yeah. UK or, or anywhere else. I don't see why anybody should have any 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 God given. Any God-given right to, to co-opt that to co-opt the club for, for for ulterior motives? 
No, and and but but the the messaging is interesting, and it is interesting that there's there, there appears at least anecdotally to me a very different viewpoint from let's say match going Reds. People are, are, are regulars, and and the kind of the, the wider world of the the massive magician's one billion followers. That's a real number, which is not really, but you know, let's just take it and say. It. And and it, it, that does that does seem very different, or the difference between people who sort of have united in the club at, in their hearts and have, have deep, deeply engaged with what United is as, as an institution versus those who just want success on the pitch at any cost. So, and I don't quite know how to articulate that, but it's, those two different flavours do seem to be apparent. Um, there, is, there, there, and, there is clearly a difference. And again, it's not to... It's not necessarily to say that one way of supporting a football club is better than support. Than, no, than, not than at all. But, I'm definitely not saying that. But, yeah. but there's no denying that it's different. So it's up. It's absolutely different. I think if you, yeah, you know, if you tune in to watch every single game on on TV at whatever time of night or morning or whatever, then yeah, that's a that's a that's a that's another way. It's a, it, it's an absolutely legitimate way of watching Man United, but it. Don't 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 compare it to people who are literally, I suppose, governing their lives and their finances, their jobs, their personal relationships around physically getting out of bed, leaving the house, getting on buses, trains, and planes, and traveling around the UK and Europe and the world, physically to physically support their football club. I think there's, a, there's quite a, there's a clear distinction to be made. Again, it's not black and white. Come across enough enough regular match goers in the UK and in, and in Manchester who, who are also just as open to varying degrees of openness to, to a Qatari takeover. So it's not, it's certainly not black and white. So, sure. Yeah. yeah. How do you see it from a media perspective? Because, because you're a fan, but you're, you're also in the media and I find there are, there are, there are a few strong voices who've articulated what's going on very well. I mean, I think just taking me Miguel, Miguel Delaney's piece yesterday in the independent, like shaping the bigger picture here beyond just owning clubs to owning whole sports mm. as we've seen with the Saudis and, and golf. And and so how do you approach it? You've got a you've got a story to tell as a journalist, but you're also a fan. Sometimes they don't fit well together. Maybe maybe it's different for you. I mean the sim- simple answer to that is I, I I try and professionally avoid writing anything about Manchester United and trying to separate yeah, the two. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, no in, in general I think yeah the media the media perspective is an interesting one. The first thing I'd say is that I think surely this is obvious, but maybe it needs repeating. The the media or individual journalists don't have an agenda against your football club. Yeah. They don't have an agenda. They, they don't genuinely have an agenda against Man United or Newcastle or North City, City or Chelsea. Yeah. They, they don't. Yeah, that that's just that's people's I suppose bubbles and quite blind narrow perspectives. And yeah, Miguel has to put up with a lot of that. And that's there was quite a an unpleasant story. I think he was actually accosted by a few City fans City in, fans, in, in yeah. Istanbul, which is. Not fair, but again, I think, yeah, to an ex- to an extent, as much as that's not acceptable, even even the city fans can be considered victims in that in that sense that they've that they've clearly wound them wound themselves up in a, in, a, in an echo chamber and given them you know, convinced themselves mm. that somehow the victims in all this to to turn their anger on onto accosting accosting a journalist who. Is, uh, yeah. is, 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 is who does a solid job. I think, yeah, that's good. I think, yes, yeah, so yeah that, that's the first thing I say. There's no agenda. The second issue I say about the media is a bit more problematic, and that's the thing that there. I think there should be more journalists and more and more outlets who who cover these issues properly and in depth, in the way that people like people like Miguel do. Uh, I think particularly. Yeah, particularly in local media, uh, but also in some of the yeah. some of the bigger global outlets. I think some of the coverage is is far too cheerleading. Yeah, um, it's very hard for local media. It is again. Uh, I mean, that, again, that, that, I do think they have been copied, copied. I mean, I can name a bunch of names here, but everyone will know who they are. But yeah, there's it, they it, have been again. Copied. There's there's no point necessarily naming naming names on that on, on that on that note because. And a lot of times, again, they they're also victims of of the media landscape that they that they yeah that they work in. Absolutely, I think particularly those who work in in broadcast media, there was quite a big debate that went on regarding. I, I personally didn't I personally didn't watch it, but by all accounts, BT Sports coverage of 
of right. the Champions League final, it was quite problematic and didn't mention anything and was, it was all very cheerleading and almost like PR. But then again, that's the problem that when when the major broadcasters and I suppose cover, uh, coverage of, of these events and of football generally becomes the responsibility of those who have bid massive money to have the privilege of reporting on these yeah. events, then you're not going to get independent critical journalism. No, um, and that is yeah. also where I said, yeah, I do have a degree of understanding as to why certain smaller outlets, particularly those who are yeah smaller, privately owned, often local, and they're therefore dependent on media models, which are dependent on advertising revenue and essentially clicks. Well, yeah, and that, yeah, yeah. It's, it stands to reason that they're going to produce the stories and the coverage which attract the most clicks from those fan the most yep. clicks from those fan bases, uh, and as we said before, those stories are not the big the big problematic political issues around the game because, as we said, they are unfortunately boring and a bit difficult on set, on, on yeah, different levels. Yeah, yeah. People don't want to engage with them, and I understand why. No one wants to be going to football to be to be told about geopolitics in the Middle East. You want to go to football to stand there and have a pint. I absolutely get yeah. it. So, yeah, that's also a problem to you know, to, to where you know, a lot of journalists in the media find themselves in a in a bit of a, bit of a catch twenty two as well. The model. Yeah, they do, they do. But it's about the model. In, in, during the World Cup, this this kind of interesting. Fox, who had the rights to the World Cup here in the US, where I'm based now, weren't going to put a studio mm-hmm. in Doha, and they were going to do it all from the US. And the coverage generally is absolutely abysmal on Fox. It's it's uh, they, they truly do not attempt to make an effort with providing any insight. Mm. But they had a studio eventually, and it was paid for by the Qatari World Cup bid. And therefore, the, all the coverage and all the programming was a kind of one long advertorial branded mm. with, with uh, Qatari, Qatari branding and, and, and bookended by adverts for Qatar tourism mm. throughout all the programming. And that's the most extreme example. Mm. And and local media is very different because it's a model that they don't have to be paid to do that. The, the incentives line up for them to be cheerleading, and, and we've seen that in Newcastle and City. And it'll be very interesting with Manchester United because, of course, uh, the people uh, people love to love to hate United as well. And cheerleading pieces around United might not actually go down well with a whole bunch of neutral fans or non-neutral fans who love to hate United. So we'll we'll see how that happens, but. Yeah, I mean, on, I mean obviously we're not, not not in the business of predicting the future, but unfortunately, I, I do see a I do see a likely a likely case where if if United do end up getting bought by Qatar, that we see a similar pattern in the media surrounding Manchester United following that, which is already on show across across town and especially in Newcastle. I find some I find yeah. some of the coverage on various outlets and from various various colleagues quite problematic surrounding surrounding Newcastle. I yeah. think that's right. And then also major figures. So again, going back to John Hurd, he said it in the, the meeting and then the podcast I did with him, deeply frustrated that, that stars of the past, like particularly Alan Chira, because of the weight of his opinion that have refused to engage with the issues. Hmm. He wrote his one piece in The Athletic just after the takeover saying he had concerns and then nothing ever again. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd rather, I'd, I'd, I don't mind, I don't mind name checking Alan Shearer because I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider him a, I wouldn't consider him a colleague. He's a, he's a professional, he's a former he's professional a footballer. He's a... Yeah, yeah, a bit loath to criticise any colleagues by name. They'll have to make, yeah, make, yeah. make that decision for themselves. But for in, in the case of Alan Shearer, I know Alan Shearer is not a, uh, it's not a, not a colleague. <laughs> Alan Shearer is, yeah, is that yeah, Alan Shearer should be the, should be the object of journalists reporting. Alan Shearer should not be pre- playing the role of journalist himself. Alan Shearer is not a journalist. Alan Shearer has lots of fantastic qualities, uh, great heading of the ball, iconic celebration. Didn't win as much as he probably should, but that's his decision. Um, that was his choice. Um, yeah, he's made yeah. many good choices and quite but, a lot of uh, But I do feel to give to give him the platform as a journalist is a bit, is a bit problematic. Yes, because his incentives are not yeah. those of typically of journalists. So I think, and, and that's where I think, again, particularly the media around it, I think one solution would be yeah, the particular media outlets which are which are state backed and which aren't necessarily reliant on private revenue in the in the private economy from from clicks from advertising. Um, mm-hmm. But again, then we come full circle to the political angle, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, you, let's just you know, take in the UK take take the BBC as an example. Yeah, tax well, let. 
license fee funded, then you have all the political debates around the license fee and the extent to which the government of the day exerts influence on the BBC or, 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 or not. Um, and yeah. given that this takeover is in itself a geopolitical transaction between nation states, yeah. You, yeah. you then have to you then have to have concerns about the extent to which the BBC would would cover that and again that's just that's just p- potential hypothetical concern not necessarily suggesting right no, right now it's a very legitimate yeah. one yeah um, again yeah. i think that as we know with the newcastle takeover the, the government got highly involved so pressure would came from came from the cabinet office to make that deal happen um and and so although that's incredible isn't it that yeah the government did get highly involved uh, but, but, yeah. but, but not yeah. in the way you'd expect you uh, yeah. anyone else i suppose any i mean particular Again, I was going to I was going to say any alien listening to this, but I'll go even closer at home. Anyone from from German football, a lot of German fans hearing that, that oh, the government were heavily involved in the takeover. The immediate thought here in Germany, among German fans, would be, ah, yeah, because they were probably trying to prevent it. No, 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 completely opposite. <laughs> they they yeah. were they were actively pushing it, and they, again, it's all been discussed. But you know, the the reason that that Saudi takeover of Newcastle was blocked for a year was not because the the government of anybody else in the UK was 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 trying to put a spanner in the works regarding concerns about Qatar. No, it was purely because the the Premier League was unhappy that its broadcast rights were being pirated across the Middle East. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything we can learn from German fan culture? So, and I say that because recently the Bundesliga one and two clubs voted against taking private equity money. I mean, it was close, very very close to part of German football being owned by private equity but they're not and and i'm sure fan pressure played a significant role in that so is there something we can learn from the strength of football culture in germany massively i mean yeah again you maybe you're or you're definitely preaching to the choir here and i, I put yeah in in, in, my, in my opinion of opinion reporting on german football and german fan culture german club ownership and the politics and the finances of german football for for the best part of, of, of six seven years yeah, English football can learn a massive, massive, massive amount from German fan culture. German fans admittedly do have a slight advantage in the fact that they they do exist in the world of the 50 plus one rule. And again, just to give a maybe quick explanation to people who aren't quite aware, mm-hmm. it's basically the German Football League regulations stipulate that the parent club of any football club, its parent club, its members, must always retain 50% control of the private company which operates the football team. It's a private mm-hmm. company often. And they must con- yeah, must retain 50% control of that plus one plus one vote. That's that's where the term 50 plus one comes from. And that, that yeah. basically prevents any external investors, entities, whoever it might be, ever obtaining a, a controlling voting stake in the, uh, in, in the club. So German football fans exist in that, uh, in, in that in that universe, I have to explain this to Germans quite a lot. Actually, that's a fundamental difference to English football. And yeah, English football clubs ever since their foundation in the 19th century have always been privately owned. Always, they've they've never been democratic organisations. They've always been privately owned. Completely different in Germany. When German football clubs were founded in the 19th century, they were they weren't founded as private entities they were founded as democratic members associations yeah uh, and that has to do with german social history that that, that sort of thing yeah. was popular at the time and yeah that is effectively remained that way no one ever sat down in 1860 when they founded 1860 munich <laughs> and said yeah we want the members to have full control in 2023 that it's, it's Bit, bit of a coincidence really, but that that's the uh, the environment they live in so to an extent german fans have it a little bit easier because you see all the fighting and the campaigning and the protests and the engagement that they all go through on various topics they're doing that because they're fighting to hold on to something which they have and obviously it's much yeah. much easier to do that than it is to campaign and fight for something which you don't have and as we said before yeah. british fans english fans don't have control of their clubs our our clubs belong to private entities uh, who, mm-hmm. whoever whoever they may be so yeah there the, was that little caveat the German fans have it easier nevertheless that state that state of play would have changed years ago had German football fans not been as engaged and as organized and as militant and as attentive as as, as they have been there's all sorts of voices across German football who would like to see 50 plus one scrapped who would like to see German football opened up to investors totally in the same way the Premier League is. Yeah, you 
you, you spoke about the, the the issue we had just just last month in Germany, where there was a plan to yeah to to basically sell stakes or sell a stake in future TV broadcast revenues to a private equity um in in in, in, in investor in in German football, and the fans campaigned against this because they suspected that obviously this would be done in in exchange for an immediate two billion euro investment in the Bundesliga and Bundesliga two. But a lot of the fans effectively had suspicions and fears that the price to pay for that would not just be a stake in future revenues, which in itself is a gamble on future money, but would also yeah. be, well, no, what, what, what other de facto influence would this private equity investor then have across our league? Would they then start insisting mm-hmm. on changing kickoff times to suit foreign audiences? Would they then start right. insisting on playing the Super Cup, so Community Shield? playing the Super Cup abroad, as has been mooted in Spain, Italy. Would they even go as yeah. far as the idea of the Premier League 39th game? That sort of thing you know, has been mooted in Germany as well. All these issues, would they start even yeah, pushing for 50 plus one to be to be scrapped and reducing the, the influence that members have? So for all those reasons, yeah, the German fans took to, took to the barricades over the past few mm-hmm. months. And ironically enough, and again, this is where... As you said before, a lot of the arguments in this come down to whataboutism and and um, accusations that somehow people have ulterior motives. But when you consider the fact that the, the two fan bases leading this, leading the protest against this, and remember, the, the argument behind behind the proposal was to make German football more competitive, to, ena- mm-hmm. to enable the big German clubs in Europe to compete better, in other words, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. Yeah. And yet those two fan bases were the ones leading it Particularly Borussia Dortmund. That's yeah. a Borussia Dortmund support and a team who have literally just thrown, a, just seen their team throw away the league title for the mm-hmm. for the eleventh year in a row. They would stand, you know, their club would stand to benefit most from this. Yeah, and yet yeah, they were the ones leading the protests. Yeah, yeah they see the bigger picture because because yeah. they see the bigger picture. And I've I found yeah. a pretty incredible change over the past. Actually, I've been work, I've been doing this professionally for six, seven years, but I've been. I've been in and around Germany for 10, 11 years. And there's been a change even in that time. I remember 11 years or so ago, it would be so common that every German football fan you met, they would hold English football and Premier League football and English fan culture in such high regard. They, they refer to England as the Mutterland des Fußballs, the motherland of football. Yeah. They they wax lyrical about Anfield, about Old Trafford, about Villa Park, about English stadiums and English songs. And it's annoying. They all sing You'll Never Walk Alone. They, they think, they, yeah, it's annoying as United fan, but they think, it, they think it's like a typical English football song and they, they think it's romantic. Yeah. However, over those past 10 years, you've had a massive increase in social media and football and, and in cheap flights and in this trend of German fans increasingly going over to England, particularly during the German yeah. winter break to watch Boxing Day football in right, the UK right. and, yeah. and also go to the darts. They love the darts. And you've seen as a consequence that they've come, they started coming back from these trips and going, Oh yeah, I went to Old Trafford, but it cost me, it cost me, it cost me 50 yeah. quid and the atmosphere was rubbish. Or yeah, yeah, Anfield wasn't as good as I thought, and and then they start realizing, oh, that this is why. Oh, I, I couldn't stand up, I couldn't drink a beer, yeah, that there was too much police outside. Well, and yeah. this, and I've definitely seen this change in opinion in Germany regarding English football, and particularly with these the, the the sellouts at Manchester City and at Newcastle, those clubs yeah. are seen in in pretty pretty dim terms now. There was a really and and you see the you see the banners. The Absolutely, that's going to be my, ne- my next point. That, bands, not that, that, yeah. That's going to be that's a key point. That's like I a... do worry for the future of European football, though, because mm. I mean this was turned down, but a, a bigger amount of money can't may come later. Who knows? Italy desperate for money. You can see not only private equity, but maybe nation states even buying into the league there, mm. and France the same. And and COVID had a really profoundly significant effect on on the finances of football around Europe. Maybe not so much in the Premier League because because the the TV rights deal, which was rolled over, kind of protected Premier League clubs. But that's not true. Now, 4 billion euros has wiped off revenues around Europe and and European football is extremely vulnerable to to either private equity or state takeover or both. 
They are, but the, the, but the, the question still yeah. remains: what people, what what people want from uh, from yeah from the developments in modern football, whether it's takeovers by nation states or whether it's um, a revamped Champions League, which is a super league in all but name. Any of these yeah. developments, it still comes down to the fact that there are there are only so many there are only so many players that you can buy for your squad, and there's only so many trophies that can be distributed. Among these clubs, someone's always go. Someone's yeah. always. I mean, the vast majority are always going to lose. Uh, so yeah. it 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 becomes a it becomes a rat race, and the, the general the general consensus across German football certainly is that people just don't want it. There's there's no appetite for it, and mm. I think increasingly, the, yeah, if the if everyone wants to go and create a super league together, then. By all means, go for it. But you know, football will football will continue, and that's why I think again, maybe I'm, maybe I'm too artistic on that. Maybe maybe I've been maybe I've been in, involved in German football for too long, but I would have, yeah, like I said before, given the status of Manchester United, given the the power that Manchester United have and the finances behind United, I'd love to see United take a stand on that and stand for something different. But yeah. it seems that that's not the case. For, it for, seems for unlikely, many. but that's. That's where we are at, at uh, Thursday evening, 15th of June. Could change by tomorrow if, if it does. Uh, <laughs> we'll, oh, we'll have to re-record this pod or no, we'll, uh, we'll update it. But Matt, I really appreciate the conversation. One of, I think you articulate the points around these issues really well, and it's good to have those voices out there. I think one just one uh, last one last uh, quick shout out before we finish. Uh, yeah. Congratulations to FC United Manchester on, um, yeah. on finishing third. In the in the second Phoenix Trophy, they they they, they won the inaugural one last yep. year, and I was I was there in Vimini to watch them do it. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, they weren't able to defend that title. It went to a, a, a Danish a Danish team, but yeah, there you go. Yeah. There's there's another another element of proof if you didn't need it that a form of red, white, and black football chasing chasing its lineage chasing its lineage in Manchester to 1878 can yep. can exist can succeed. Yeah, I had George Baker on the last pod, actually, a former board member at SC United. Yeah, I, I think it's a fascinating club. I still have my £200 worth of community shares that I bought when it was formed. And look, community football can exist, whether it's the size of Manchester United or my local team. Uh, I wish that that community that, that exists with FC United was was close to the one that um, exists at Manchester United. Unfortunately, I think we're going to end up in quite a negative place. But we'll see. This time, it could change. Matt, thank you very much. Nice to finish on a positive note. Yeah, my pleasure, mate. <laughs> yeah. All right. Catch you on the next pod. Uh, it might be tomorrow, given the way things are moving today. Thanks for listening, everyone.